And as Travis said earlier, we had a sweet time of prayer this morning at 9.15 at our second house of prayer. And we don't quite know what all is going to happen at our houses of prayer, uh, but a couple things happened this morning. Uh, One is we gave away the book, What If I Don't Desire to Pray? And I've got two copies left, and you can take those home. I'll leave them uh, up here. The other thing that happened is we added to the prayer chain during the service because I was looking that way and fell off the second step. So I felt great for about two minutes, and then my left foot does not feel great right now. So the Lord will, Lord will get me through it. Uh, but we prayed for some folks on our prayer tree. We prayed for one another, and we learned how to pray more from God's Word. And we asked God to give us the desire to pray. If you don't really have a strong desire to pray right now, you're not alone. All of us are at that point at some point in our walk with Jesus, maybe multiple times, even in the same season. And so please uh, take one of those home if you'd like it. Also, the Easter flowers behind us, we wanted to keep from last week, but those can all go home today. If you know someone who'd be blessed by one of those Easter flowers, uh, please take one and give it away in the name of the Lord as a blessing to someone. So you can take a book home or you can take one of those Easter flowers home. And I would say what they are, but I don't remember what they are. (laughs) Lilies? Is that what they are? Lilies? They didn't teach that in seminary. (laughs) Well, did you hear the news? Did you hear the news? Jesus was raised from the dead. Last week we saw that he told his women, the women, go tell my disciples... He said, greetings, and then he said, don't be afraid, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So the women went and told the world, they shared their story. But the women had one story after that one meeting, but there was another meeting about the resurrection of Jesus. And at that meeting, some people came up with another story of what happened. So we have the two stories of Easter. That's our sermon series for today and next week. Next week we'll see the Great Commission. And this week we'll see the other story that has gone to spread through the whole world. And that story says that Jesus has not been raised. And what a difference those two stories make in someone's life and in a world. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. We'll be in verses 11 through 15 today. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to read it. And if you don't have a Bible with you, we've reprinted the verses on the back of that bulletin. Hopefully you got a bulletin on your way in. We're going to look at one of the two stories of Easter. And before I read, let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of prayer Thank you for this time in your presence to read your word and to hear from you, to hear your sweet, tender voice comforting us when we need it, or your loving, correcting voice challenging us where we need it. We're in your presence now. You've gathered your children, and you are and will do great and mighty things for us, your children. We know that you love this time with you as well. 
You love time with your children. Lord, as we hear the preaching of your word, give us ears to hear it, eyes to see it. And the Lord, help our hearts desire you more, having heard from you. Grow our desire as we hear your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Matthew 28, verses 11 through 15. This is the great and glorious word of the Heavenly Father who raised Jesus from the dead. Verse 11. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel... They gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money. And did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Last week we celebrated Easter. We had our pancake breakfast. And we had a wonderful weekend of considering the death, burial, and resurrection. And then ascension of our Savior Jesus. And the news goes out to the whole world. And boy did we celebrate But in our text this morning, we see fake news. This is the most famous fake news ever. I mean, think about it. Non-Christians believe that Jesus is dead. And Christians believe that Jesus is alive. One of those two things is true. And whoever's wrong is lying about the most important thing that has ever happened in the history of the world. One of those two groups is lying. And here's why. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says this to Christians. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. So Paul says, I'm going to triple down on the resurrection of Jesus. It had to have happened. If it didn't happen, then we're wasting our time. If you read popular atheist writers, they would say the same thing. They would say, since Jesus has not been raised, those Christians are wasting their time. They're dangerous. They're foolish. And they're harming people with their lie. So Christianity is false if Jesus is still dead. But it's worse than that. It's worse than just Christianity being false. If Jesus is still dead, then nobody's going to defeat death. If Jesus is still dead, then no one can have victory over sin which enslaves us. Nobody can truly grow and have victory over their sin because the wages of sin is death and Jesus defeated death, which means he defeated sin. If Jesus is dead, nobody can beat sin. We might as well just all give in to every desire of our heart and ruin the world together. 
If Jesus is still dead, then nobody can possibly have true hope. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. But if he is dead, you can't face tomorrow. If Jesus is still dead, life cannot have meaning. But fortunately for us, Jesus is risen. He is alive. So let's look at what happened after the resurrection. Next week is the Great Commission. Go make disciples. Tell the world the good news. But today we have the Great Cover-Up. Next week, the Great Commission. Today, the Great Cover-Up. Our story has four parts. First, there's two messengers. Two messengers. Second, there's two stories. Third, there's trouble. And fourth, there's teaching. Because both groups and messages are teaching the world, making disciples of the world. Two messengers, two stories, trouble, and fourth, teaching. Well, the two messengers we see in verse 11. Look at verse 11. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. So you've got the women messengers having met Jesus, going to tell the disciples, go ahead and meet meet him in Galilee. Good news, good news. That's one set of messengers. But then you have the guards who were guarding the tomb of Jesus. They are going to go with a different message. They're going to go tell the chief priests, the Jewish religious leaders, all that had taken place. Look at the end of the verse, all that had taken place. So let's rehearse what was all that had taken place. Because the Roman guards had Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday been eyewitnesses to everything that happened to the body of Jesus. So they could have said in their report, Jesus was crucified. We put him on the cross. We nailed him to the cross. He died. He was dead. We made sure he was dead. And then we took his body down. We gave it to Joseph of Arimathea. His body was put in the tomb. The tomb had Roman guards guarding it. The tomb had a large stone blocking it. The guards decided to put a Roman seal on the stone so that if it was rolled away, they would know that the seal was broken. And they knew that the tomb had the body of Jesus. That tomb, that body. But then on Sunday, what did the guards have to say? They didn't have a story made up yet, so they would have had to say what actually happened. An angel descended and sat On the stone, there was an earthquake. The stone was moved away. And then the tomb was empty. The body just wasn't there. He had been there on Friday, but on Sunday he was gone. So uh, what could they say in that meeting? What are we going to do? The body was missing. It wasn't some kind of a magic trick, was it? I grew up in the 80s, and every once in a while on TV, there would be this special on a Wednesday night or a Friday night, and David Copperfield would make something vanish. Do you remember that? You remember that? He made an airplane vanish the one time. Didn't someone try to make the Statue of Liberty vanish too? So we had no idea back in the 80s that all of the witnesses were in on it and that camera tricks were used. But when you're a kid and you see an airplane vanish on TV, you go, wow. But the guards guarding the tomb of Jesus, the most important 
criminal who died that weekend, who said he was going to be raised. His body needed to be there. So when the guards saw the stone roll away, they looked in. They did not go, wow. They went, oh no. Because they knew something had happened. They had lost the most important body in human history. And they only had one job. Guard the tomb. They were thinking, oh no. In fact, they actually knew beforehand to be extra careful about this one guy, Jesus. If you have your Bible, look one chapter back at Matthew 27. I'll start in verse 62. They knew stories were going to spread about Jesus. Matthew 27, 62. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. They knew it was coming. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Verse 65, Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. This was the Roman Empire. They said, Let's use all of our power, all of our resources, all of our influence, everything we can to make sure that the body of Jesus stays in that tomb the whole weekend. Make sure of it. But the body was gone. So we have two messengers. The women running away from the tomb with great joy and victory. They're going to tell the world that Jesus is risen. And the guards, with great fear and failure, had to report to their authorities, Jesus is missing. Jesus was risen. Jesus is missing. So we have two messengers. That's point one. And we're supposed to notice the contrast. The women have joy and the guards have fear. The women have the truth and the guards have to lie. The women have Hope and the guards have confusion. The women know there will be victory and the guards know they're in trouble. Two messengers after Easter. Well, the two messengers, that was point one, have two stories. That's verses 12 and 13. Two stories. Let's see them in verse 12. And when they, the guards, had assembled with the elders and taken counsel... All right, pause there. They had a strategy meeting. They talked about the details. What happened? How did it happen? Did you fall asleep? Really? Did you let that? No, no. It was just gone when we got up. And all the guards could say was the truth. The stone was rolled away and he was already gone. So when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, meeting's over. What are we going to do? Now look at the middle of verse 12. They gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And this is really fascinating. 
And when you think about what was going on, I mean, they had to come up with a story. And they had to pay the soldiers off to go out into the world, tell the whole world, Jesus is just missing. He's not risen, he's missing. And that was their explanation. That was their fraudulent explanation of what happened because Jesus really was raised. If you think about the different explanations and theories that people have about Jesus, even today, if you go online, the discussions are usually silly. It's pretty silly. Uh, Some people say, maybe Jesus didn't really exist. And that just doesn't work. Historians agree on his historicity. Some people say, maybe they had the wrong tomb, right? The Roman guards whose life was on the line that day accidentally had the wrong tomb, That doesn't work either. They put a huge stone in front of the tomb. They sealed it. They would have checked that it was the right tomb. In fact, they were extra careful to guard the right tomb. And then if that's true, if they were just guarding the wrong tomb, well, guess what they would have done at that meeting? They would have said, oh, we had the wrong tomb. Let's just go this afternoon to the right tomb, pull the body of Jesus out and show everyone, ta-da, here he is. He's not missing. It was a camera trick. Well, there's other theories. Some people say that he really did hang on the cross, but he didn't die after that crucifixion. That doesn't work either. Nobody survives Roman executions, especially since they wrapped him up and buried him for the weekend. My favorite theory, and I say favorite because it's just to see how far people will go to come up with a theory to explain that Jesus really isn't risen. My favorite theory to think about is the twin theory. Have you heard the twin theory? It says this, maybe Jesus had an identical twin and his twin made appearances after the resurrection. So let's play that one out because the text is about making up a story about the rest, right? Let's play this one out. Jesus becomes the most famous religious person in all of Jerusalem for three years and he has an identical twin that no one has ever heard of who he convinces, hey, I got an idea. How about you get arrested, tortured, and crucified for me so that I can trick people into thinking that I came back from the dead? That's the theory. My brother loves me, and he would do a lot for me. But he would not do that for me. But isn't it interesting, the other problem with the twin theory that people spread even today is this. The twin theory admits that everyone after Easter saw somebody that looked like Jesus walking around talking again. It admits that there was a guy who looked like Jesus walking around after the resurrection. And that is the giveaway. And the soldiers knew it. They knew. They had been guarding the tomb the whole time. They knew the body had been in there. That there was the stone and it was rolled away. And they were there to eyewitness that. So they knew the body was really gone. They knew it wasn't stolen. They knew they had the right tomb. They knew that no other story could make sense of the details. Except for the true story that Jesus is risen. But they had to do something. They had to make up a story. But what else could they do? They had nothing but bad news. When you have bad news, you make up bad lies. Look at it verse. Tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. 
So that's what they decided to do. Let's hold a press conference. Let's go out into the town and tell everyone this is what happened. And don't give any time for questions. There were two stories on Easter. Two stories. The women, with great joy and victory, go tell the world, Jesus is risen. And the guards, with great fear and failure, go tell the world, Jesus is missing. Now, we could stop there and, and ponder a lot, but we, we want to move on in a moment. But before we move on, think about what happened. The story starts to spread that Jesus is risen. And immediately it becomes profitable for some people to lie about it. Immediately it becomes profitable, profitable for some people in this world to deny the truth about Jesus. And it still today is profitable to lie about Jesus sometimes. Maybe for you, if you're at school, and if you lie about Jesus, people will think you're pretty cool or you're on the good side. Maybe at work, if you obey your boss in a way that denies the truth of God's word or the truth of the risen Savior, maybe it'll make it a lot easier for you to get a promotion. Maybe when your family gets together and they want to know what you think, it will be profitable for you to say, I don't really believe in that. Or I don't really want to talk about it. You're given an opportunity to share about Jesus who's given you hope and joy and peace and comfort. But it's profitable for you to say, I'd rather not talk about that. It's profitable sometimes to deny the resurrection of Jesus. Maybe when someone asks you what you believe, you'll consider their eternal salvation, but you'll compare it to your momentary comfort and you'll give in and take the price of the momentary comfort, knowing that you failed to tell that person that the tomb of Jesus is empty. It was profitable back then for these soldiers, very profitable for them, to go spread a lie about Jesus. But before we become judgmental of them, let's examine our own hearts. Where have we lived our lives in a way that denies the resurrection of Jesus? Where have we made this world all about ourselves instead of about our risen Savior? It's profitable to lie about Jesus, but it's not worth the cost. Jesus says in Matthew 10, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So it's profitable, it's tempting to lie about Jesus, but it's not worth the cost because there are two stories. There's a lie, and maybe it's profitable for a time, but there's also the truth. The other story was the women who went to the disciples and gave the good news. The only story that makes sense of all of the evidence of what happened on that first Easter, Jesus really was raised from the dead. No other story is even plausible. So friends, we can tell the truth or we can make a story up. But when you do that, it always leads to more trouble. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You've come up with a creative lie and you got caught and it got you in a lot of trouble. Well, the message the guards started to spread was going to bring them to our third point, which is trouble. Trouble. If you're spreading the lie that Jesus is still dead, it's going to lead to trouble. Look at verse 14. 
And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. Losing a body was bad enough for the Roman guard, but losing the body of Jesus, who predicted he would come back from the dead, that was really bad. So the fear was, if the governor hears about this, which he did, (laughs) the story spread all over the world, right? Even to us today. But if if the governor hears about this, the guards are going to be in trouble. However, they couldn't get rid of the guards. They couldn't execute the guards for failing at their job that weekend. Because if the lie was going to work, the guards needed to be out there spreading it. Because the guards were also eyewitnesses to the empty tomb. So the chief priests and the guards agree to pay the guards to tell the lie. And if word gets to the governor, the priests say that they're going to, look at it, satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. And that means that they were going to pay the governor off too. And so they paid the guards off and they were willing to pay the governor off too to make sure that lies about Jesus rule the earth. And I know this is hard to believe. I'll try and say this with a straight face. But on that first Easter, the government made a mistake and came up with a story to lie about it and paid government officials to spread the lie and covered up their bases with bribery. Now, I know it's hard to believe that any government would ever do anything like that. (laughs) But that's what happened. Powerful forces aligned to stop the news of Jesus from spreading. The government was trying to stop Jesus. But friends, it wasn't going to work because the gates of hell cannot prevail against the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Even if every government on the earth tonight had a meeting at the UN and decided to suppress the truth about Jesus Christ, it would not stop the news from spreading. Because the news about Jesus being raised changes lives forever. It gives more hope than government oppression can stamp down. It gives more peace than government power can promise. The news about Jesus is going to spread no matter what the governments do. And if you watch the news of what's happening in China, the gospel of Jesus is spreading no matter how hard the government tries. And everywhere the good news of Jesus is spreading, there's joy and hope. And everywhere the lie about Jesus is spreading, there's fear and failure. But if you're on the side of the lies, our third point is there's going to be trouble. And there was trouble for the guards and the government officials that week. Well, fourth and finally, there's teaching. And this is really helpful to understand. Next week, we're going to see that we're supposed to go out into the world and make disciples and teach them everything Jesus taught us. But the enemy is also going into the whole world teaching, trying to make disciples. So look at verse 15. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has spread among the Jews to this day. As they were directed, that word is the word for teaching. They were basically saying, take the money and make disciples and teach everyone that Jesus is still dead. Do as you're taught. Do as you're told. Tell the world to live as if Jesus is still dead. They were spreading the gospel of no Jesus. We're called to make disciples and the world is making disciples too. And the world is teaching a message. We could call it the secular message today. 
The secular world is trying to live as if there's no God and to live as if Jesus has not been raised. And the guards that day, that Easter, went into the world to make disciples of that message. And so what is the good news of our secular world? We go out with the good news of Jesus. Well, who's going out teaching the other news? The good news of the secular world is that we evolved from nothing. So it's all up to us. The good news of the secular world is we have no meaning. So we have to decide meaning for ourselves. The good news of the secular world is there is no God. So you need to be your own God. The good news of the secular world is that the Bible is all made up and it's oppressive. So let's just make our own rules. The good news of the secular world is Jesus was not raised. So this life is all there is. So eat, drink, and be merry now. And eat, drink, and be merry as long as you can while you're retired. For tomorrow, we die. I'm very careful when I talk about uh, the world around us and how people who don't believe in Christianity think. And so if you think I'm exaggerating here, I'm just going to quote Richard Dawkins, one of the most popular atheists. Maybe you've heard or seen some of his writing or some of his uh, talks. He says this. This is his assessment. This is his truth about the world. He says, The universe that we observe has precisely the properties that we should expect If there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, really? No good, nothing but pitiless indifference. That's the gospel of a world without a risen Savior. That's the message of those who deny the risen Savior. The message is Jesus is dead. And that message is bad enough, but they have to lie about the biggest thing. Ask them, where is the body of Jesus? There's no answer. The guards looked. They had no answer. So the world is making disciples saying, do as you're told. Spread the gospel of no Jesus. This world is meaningless. Go into the world and make disciples of meaninglessness. And no wonder our country is seeing such a huge rise in hopelessness, anxiety, Anger, suffering, and confusion. A world without belief in a risen Savior really does harm people. It becomes as bad as some of the worst countries we've ever seen. I want to read a quote from Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Uh, He's no longer with us, uh, but he grew up in communist Russia. And he writes this about having grown up in the midst of a terrible, terrible country, full communist Russia. He says this. Over half a century ago, when I was still a child, I remember hearing a number of old people offering the following explanation for the great disasters that had befallen Russia. A world that said, there is no God, let's live as if there is no God. They said, the old people said, men have forgotten God. And that's why all this has happened. Now, Solzhenitsyn spent decades chronicling what happened in Russia. He says this, Since then, I have spent 50 years working on the history of our revolution. In the process, I've read hundreds of books, collected hundreds of personal testimonies, and have already contributed eight volumes of my own toward the effort of clearing away the rubble left by that upheaval. 
But if I were asked today to formulate as concisely as possible the main cause of the ruinous revolution that swallowed up some 60 million of our people, I could not put it more accurately than to repeat, men have forgotten God. That's why all this has happened. Denying the risen Savior has huge consequences for your heart. Denying a risen Savior has huge consequences for our world. And spreading the story that there is no hope through Jesus really does great harm in this world. And that was the story that was still spreading when Matthew wrote his gospel. Look at the end of verse 15. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. But eventually that story stopped making any sense. Too many people had seen Jesus afterwards and it wasn't his twin. Too many witnesses had heard from a risen Savior after Easter. Too many people changed their beliefs. The Jewish world had a view at the time in the first century of corporate resurrection on the last day. They did not believe that a single person would come back from the dead like Jesus did. But then all of these Jewish people started to believe that an individual person could come back from the dead. That was categorically impossible for Jews to believe in the first century. But they changed their beliefs because many of them had seen a risen Savior. The Apostle Paul changed his beliefs. He converts to Jesus and that didn't make any sense at all unless he really met the risen Savior Jesus. All the evidence points to a risen Savior. But the fake news still spreads even today. The central belief of Christianity is Jesus is risen. And he offers life, hope, healing, redemption, salvation, and victory to all who call on his name for salvation, to all who repent of their sins and follow him. But the central belief of secularism is Jesus is dead He is dead indeed. And they have no songs to sing of hope. And they offer meaninglessness, hopelessness, and futility. Nothing but to quote their top evangelist. Nothing but pitiless indifference. And no answer to death. Friends, there are two stories going out into this world One is saying that Jesus is risen. There's hope for victory over sin, Satan, and death. There's hope to have the fruit of the Spirit. There's hope to get through tomorrow. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. And the competing worldview says there's no hope. Make up your own hope. And that is the world we are sent by Jesus to go preach the good news into. We have the better story, don't we? And the better story of telling the world about Jesus means that the story isn't about us. We go into the world and we say, I was a mess and Jesus found me. I was a sinner and Jesus saved me. I was lost, but now I'm found. When we go out into the world with this message, let's remember to make it all about Jesus and not about ourselves. But the problem in this world is that sin blinds hearts to Jesus. We don't naturally like the good news of Jesus because if you're going to respond to the good news, you have to admit the bad news that we're sinners who need a savior. In Romans 1, we learn that sin has darkened human hearts. 
It says, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So we've got light or darkness. We've got hope or hopelessness. We've got a risen Savior or a dead one. And for our friends and loved ones and neighbors who don't have that hope yet, ask God to give you a heart of compassion for them because they're living in a world where there is no hope. May God use us to bring the good news of Jesus to them. May God open hearts even today as we share the good news. So a final question for you, as we've heard the preaching of God's word. Are you living your life as if Jesus has been raised from the dead? Are you living your life as if the tomb of Jesus really is empty and he really has given victory over death? Or are you living as if the news that he is dead was true? It says in this story has been spread among the Jews even to this day. Are you believing the lie? Jesus doesn't have power. Jesus can't give hope. He's still dead. If you're believing that today, then today could be the day that you trust in Jesus, the risen Savior. Turn from your sins. Give your life to him. Trust in him and ask him to give you the hope that you haven't had, that you tried to find everywhere else. He gives that hope because his tomb is empty and he is alive. There's two stories of Easter. He's dead. He's dead indeed. But there's another story. He is risen. He is risen indeed. A dead Jesus can offer you nothing. Don't believe the lie. Secularism can offer you nothing. Offer you nothing. Don't believe the lie. Only one thing can give you what you really need, and that is Jesus. And he really was raised. Believe that and then go out into this world where those two stories are being spread and with a smile on your face and hope in your heart, let the world know Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for opening our hearts to the good news of Jesus and for giving us the new birth, for filling us with your Holy Spirit, and giving us the fruit of your Holy Spirit. Lord, forgive us for when we've been tempted to take the small profit of denying Jesus in an area of our life. Of going for simple pleasures instead of obeying your word. Or of denying Jesus in front of others so that we can get ahead in life or be on the right side according to some. Lord, help us spread that good news to a world that desperately needs it. Give us your heart of compassion for those around us who are still left in the darkness. Shine your light in and through us so that the world can see that the bad news that Jesus is still dead is a lie. And even though it's still being spread, send us out to spread the better news that he is risen. He is risen indeed. Lord, thank you for the empty tomb of your Son and our Savior, Jesus. Help us live a life of joy and hope and victory this week, made possible by the gift of faith you've given us 
and by our risen Savior, in whose name we pray, amen. Would you stand and sing with us?